Hello and welcome to B2B Better. My name is Jason Bradwell, and on each episode, I talk about how companies can use marketing to navigate big moments of change. Whether this is gearing up for a new funding round, launching a new product, pivoting in response to market trends, or sitting on either side of an acquisition, I break down modern-day B2B marketing strategies into actionable advice with guests who've seen it all before. Let me help you be better than boring. Let's go. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Sonia Bechez, Content Marketing Lead at Atmos. How are you doing, Sonia? Good, good, good. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been a while where we've been trying to organize this, but I've been moving house, you've been moving house, lots of life stuff coming up and yes. uh, stopping us. <laughs> oh, definitely. Tell me a little bit about you and, and what you do at Atmos. Yeah, so I pretty much lead all of marketing. The only marketing person at the moment, though I have colleagues that help me in design and growth, works all three angles. But yeah, I've yeah just managed everything. It's a lot, but it's good. And now we have more of a focus, which has been great. Yeah, and you started at the company uh, pretty much from day one, if I recall. What's that process been like working so closely with the founders and, and building the organization from scratch? Yeah, I was pretty lucky that the founders pretty much early on understood that marketing was an important aspect of what they wanted to do and build. So I was brought on pretty early on to when they pivoted to the new idea of focusing on home building. I'm actually about to have my two-year anniversary in a couple of days here. So excited about that. But yeah, pretty much had to start everything from the beginning, setting up the social accounts, setting up email programs, brand awareness, worked with a designer that they um, were contracting at the time to build out the brand and all the logo and the colors and all, all that helped come up with the website went through all the copy that they had worked on to ensure that it would like was all written correctly and had all the goals and like mission and everything so yeah just started everything from the beginning which is crazy to see now how we've evolved to where we are now and all the learnings <laughs> that yeah. uh, we've had along the way Talking about that evolution, tell me a little bit about what the organization does today, but also where the organization started, because it's been quite a journey and things have changed a little bit since day one, right? Yeah. So it originally started as wanting to design and create VR headsets. And so that was where they got the original funding from for that. And then they pivoted to where we are now when they realized that the VR headset, it wasn't quite like technology wasn't quite where they wanted it to be moved on to creating the world or the space where people could, where people could create what they wanted, how they wanted it, depending on what they wanted. So they decided to focus on the home in order to give people the most independence and customizability that they could. And so that kind of became the natural pivot there. And plus one of the founders, his parents had been in the home building industry, so he was comfortable with that. And so that kind of shifted everything into purely building a home, building a custom home at that, where you would go onto our platform, decide the number of bedrooms, bathrooms, what type of living room, what type of home style you wanted, and then build out the house from there. I remember when we were doing some prep before we, before we organized the interview itself, you were telling me that one of the kind of main USPs of the organization is about almost democratizing that home building, that custom home building process. Previously to, to Atmos, if you were someone who was looking to 
gain a degree of customization over the property you were looking to build. It was really reserved for the upper echelons of, of society, the people with the big checkbooks, but you, the organization's targeting more of a, a mid-market audience. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So I'd say there's two. There's the people who can't afford to like hire the architect and the project manager and the contractor that's going to build the house and everything, which they have to do pretty much all of that by themselves or the people that you see on like HGTV and Better Homes. No, it's what is that British show? Grand Homes or whatever. Oh, Grand Designs. Grand designs, right? Where you see the person spend like years building like their dream home. And I'd say so many of us have this interest in building a design that is like personalized to us in our life. And currently there just isn't an option for that. So that that's what makes me super excited is allowing more people to have that of one of the biggest purchases they're ever going to make in their lives, being able to design a home that has like really cool, unique features that mean more to you and that are based like for you and your life. So yeah, that's where we are now. We start with a budget of around like 500,000 and go up from there. And depending on what your budget is, is how much gets allotted towards what you're building and like the customizations that you want. So it's really cool to see how people decide to use that money. I think that's the best part is like, you're giving people like the options, you're laying it out, like you could do this or this. What do you want to do? That's really exciting. I I'm curious. Are there any odd requests that typically come in when someone's buying buying their home? And what what the reason I'm asking is I've just started watching Lux listings on Amazon, which is like <laughs> selling Sunset, but the Australian Sydney version. Okay. And I was watching a bit of a trailer for it last night before I watched the first episode. And there was a little clip where they were like, here's the cheese room. And it's like a room where there's just like all these Italian cheeses and meats just hanging and there's a hand slicer. Do you ever see any cheese rooms coming up in the designs that Atmos is doing? So no cheese rooms so far, but we have gotten wine rooms. Those are, yeah, those are becoming far more popular now that people are like seeing what's like available. We just signed on to do like a conversation pit, like from the 1970s, uh, where you go downstairs to into this lounge area to chill with all all your friends. We haven't seen one of those in like how long? (laughs) But why Um, not? It's your home. Exactly. We just just moved into a new house and you really... You, when you move from one house to another, particularly one a house that you've been living in for a long time into a new set, into a new space, you really start to realize just like how much of your family habits are formed around the kind of space that, that you're living in. Just when it comes to moving around the property and, you know, how to set up furniture to best cater to how you want to engage with your family. For instance, like when we bought the property in our kitchen, there was like a really long kind of table with with benches that the previous owners had. It looked really nice for them. They obviously clearly loved it. For mm-hmm. us, we just prefer a smaller kind of like circular table that could be mm-hmm. tucked away to get more space into the kitchen. And it's those kind of things Atmos is solving at a bigger scale, right? It's not just about right. furniture, but it's about the actual layout and, and architecture of the property. Now that you mentioned it, those kitchen banquettes, as they're called, are also coming back in style <laughs> just because people want to use as much space as possible in, in a very smart way. Usually those have storage underneath them mm. under like the cushions so that you can put more stuff in there. The other one that that just reminded me of is we've now seen, particularly with our millennial uh, buyers, at least four of them have built dog showers in their house for their pets, which I think is amazing because it like is it's showing you two things where it's like how much you can like customize to build for your life and how important 
dogs have become in like your life that like you want to like make their lives easier, but you're also making it easier for you to bathe them because so many of us have to just, you know, bathe our dogs in like regular human showers. And like those, unless you have the handle that like the shower handle that comes down, it's really hard to just try to get them underneath the shower. And this solves for that. So that's like really awesome. That's like, people are like finding these things and then wanting to incorporate them into their house to make their lives easier. That's really awesome. If you do ever come up uh, against a cheese room, do let me know, because if that's a trend that starts to take off in the US, I need to be across it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to have to like add that to the things. I think there's this list of, of things that like we show other clients for their imagination. Mm. I think that's also like the funnest part because now we've we've evolved from it being like online and you've talking about it to now it's like you're talking to an architect and interior designer. Um to go through everything that's possible and help you to reel it back in once you start seeing like the budget go up, but then just helping you work through it so that not only do you prioritize, but if something is really important to you, you can know what the cost is going to be and what's going to go into it. And we can try to find a way to make it fit uh, for your house. I love that. So you've been at the organization since day one. You've been responsible for building the marketing function from day one. What's been the most challenging part uh, of building that department within the organization so far? I'd say uh, like the external bit, obviously it's you're creating a new company from the ground up and that requires the same uh, in terms of marketing. You're um, trying to not only um, build up the brand, but then also get people to understand what it is that you're trying to do. And because this is such a novel concept that people um, haven't really seen before, it's really hard to get them to understand what is happening. so that's been like the, the big thing that we've faced It's the main thing is, oh, how does it work? Like, how does financing work? And obviously these are like, you know, big questions. And because we're going into what is an inherently complicated business housing, people with good reason come into it with a lot of questions and like, um, hesitation about really jumping into this. So like, we see a lot of like my, not competitors, but like, I see a lot of like other, like folks in marketing and it's, they're building like DTC brands and it's, it's a small product that like you can sell through like Instagram mm. <laughs> and it's, oh, that doesn't work for us. Like we're selling an entire house, which like I said, is going to be one of the biggest purchases that most people ever make. So it takes a lot of buy-in. And so like our customer acquisition model, um, has to take that into account, how long it's going to take for somebody from like the moment that they first find out about Atmos to the point that they actually are like, okay, I trust this company enough to like actually work with them and then move forward. And then starts the whole process of having to design the home, having to go through the review plans and then starts like the building. So the prop can take, well, the design process we know takes like about four months and then give or take, depending on how many changes they want to make. And then the build process takes nine to 12 months. So that's like almost a year plus of having to wait for the product to actually come to life. So that's also a burden on me because it's like, how do we show our work if it's not actively happening? That's been like one of like the hardest things because until we had that first house that we sold, we couldn't even show our work of what we've been doing. But since then, now we're just like, building so much more and have a lot more content, a lot lot more uh, proof of concept, basically of what we're doing. So it's getting easier now, but yeah, that initial like beginning of having to set that all up and trying to find that first customer or the first few customers that believe in you enough to do this, but then also want this enough 
to like do this was like really difficult. So when we got that first house sold, it was like, wow. <laughs> popping, the, popping the champagne. Yes, know. exactly. What were you doing during that time where you didn't have any kind of work to really back the claims that you were making, right? Because the concept itself sounds really attractive. I get to spend as much money as I was going to spend anyway on a property, but I get a degree of customization and I can build a home that's really going to fit my needs. But here's a company that's raised its seed round, it's getting off the ground, but it hasn't yet really done what it says it's, it can do yet. How are you addressing that challenge through your marketing in that initial year? So when we initially, when I was initially hired, it was with knowing that we were going to like launch. And so I was hired first in like the end of May, not May, sorry, at the end of uh, April, I came on board, I started like the initial setting up of like social media accounts and everything, knowing that we were going to like launch and that we need to like build an audience there. And then we decided we were going to launch May 19th, 2020, which is just crazy timing because that is also around the time that COVID started happening. Mm -hmm. And so we started seeing what was happening with like housing, people being able to work remotely and knowing that like, hey, there's something here in this moment that we can try to capture. And so that ended up being like the initial idea um, behind what we created as our like a growth hack, which was this rent calculator that we created that would allow you to see, put in the amount of money that you spend in places like San Francisco, New York, LA, and it would show you what you could buy with that money in wow. cities like Raleigh, Charlotte, where we're building. Um, and then we included other cities like up and coming cities like Austin, Columbus, Atlanta, all these markets that we're interested in being eventually. And we thought it would be like an interesting way to get like data around where people are actually interested in living. And so that essentially went viral because everybody was talking about it at that time about like, why am I paying $4,000 to live in San Francisco when I can't even do anything? I can't go outside because we're like in lockdown and I'm not able to like enjoy the city. And then as you see what $4,000 buys you in Raleigh, what am I doing? <laughs> um, so that was like, we got a lot of traction from that, a huge like spike in traffic. And it was great to see that like, this is something that people are actively thinking about, especially millennials right now, as they're like reaching the age that they want to buy a home. Mm. And People in cities like San Francisco, New York, and LA are realizing that, hey, I may not be able to afford to live in the place that I want to live. So I'm going to have to look into these like emerging markets to find a place to live. And so we hopped on that. I'd also, this is the first time I'd ever done that, was starting to pitch journalists on writing about us. And because we had gone viral with that, they were made aware of us, uh, as well as a lot of San Francisco people and like VCs. So that kind of helped to, to grease the wheels about what we were doing, what we were building. And a lot of people found it like really interesting. So we had our first like articles written about us around that time. And then that kind of led to, hey, this is like what we're building. And one of the beauties about like being in like San, San Francisco and being like a tech company is that you don't always have to have the product done before you start marketing it, which which is like where we were. But soon after that is when we started talking to our first client, Ali, who built a home in Chapel Hill, who was in the tech world, had essentially moved from San Francisco to Raleigh to be there. So he fit like that entire narrative of what we were pushing, had discovered us through a Slack channel for building homes. So it's something he was already primed to. And because he was like in the tech world, he's like, okay, I understand there's going to be like that there are pros and cons. It's like a new company, but I'm willing to take that risk to make what I want to happen. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's how we got our, our, our first client. And then once we had him, it's like, okay, 
got a first client. And then that was able to get me to pitch him and like our company to the Raleigh market. So reached out to journalists there and we got featured in News and Observer. And that as much as people like to say that like, you know, the media sucks, all this, it's like, there is such a value in being featured in um, local and like national newspapers because people regard that as legitimacy um, mm. that like, Hey, if you make it into the newspaper and I read about you in the newspaper that I know and trust, like, obviously this has to be a good thing or like reasonable or it's a legitimate. Right. And so once we got that, we got another huge spike in traffic and people were far more open to trying to work with us and at least get more information and figure out like whether it would work for them. Um, so press has been like a huge part of like my role and something I had to learn because I'd never done that before, but it was something that I was always eager to do. It's funny because what ended up happening was that I took it on and then I realized like what made it work for me was the idea that like you are marketing to a journalist and their audience and like what they're going to find like valuable and interesting and what they might want to read about. And so once that kind of, once I wrapped my head around that, it, it got a lot easier. Whereas before I used to think that it was like, oh, you have to like build out these relationships with like journalists and be longstanding thing that you're, you're, you're trying to do and build up and then they'll write about you. And it's like, yes, that can work, but it also works to sell them a really interesting story that their readers are going to find interesting because that helps them to like their people. Um, and so now that's won us a lot more placements in particularly local. That was another change that we went through is like figuring out that we went viral nationally, like in San Francisco, New York and all that. But because we're not in those markets, it just wasn't really valuable for us. So it went from a very expanded brand awareness campaign to far more localized being very like close to Charlotte and Raleigh, Chapel Hill, all, all like those cities in the triangle, because that's where our audience was. And so that's why we went, started going after the local newspapers. That's awesome. It sounds like you really took advantage and capitalized on a couple of key moments. The pandemic, whilst you never want to think of the pandemic as an opportunity, still it did usher in this right. change in people's thinking around where they wanted to spend their time. Certainly right. here in the UK, having a lot of colleagues in central London, stuck in one bedroom, two bedroom apartments with kids. I know it was tough over that time. And a lot of them were looking to mm. move out of the city into the country, into more uh, rural areas. So that was one moment. And the second with 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 Ali in that he was willing to take a leap of faith with you guys. Mm -hmm. And that was the spark that you needed to mm -hmm. go out there and really demonstrate your, your credibility, which in turn led to all the great PR coverage that you got. So it's really smart. You've told us a lot about what you were doing from launch. In October of 2020, you obviously raised a $4 million seed round, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. Was there any conversation between you and the founders around what your marketing strategy was going to look like to support securing that round? Or was it really just building on the momentum you'd already got in the market through the viral campaign and through getting your first customer wins over the line? Yeah, it, they, the talks had already started and then we went viral and then that got like a lot more interest from like VCs. It was around that time that the founders had also applied and then they went through YC. They did that. And then that obviously gives you a, a little bit more access to VCs as well. Whereas they did their presentation. It was the first time that it was online. So they were part of that cohort. So obviously the things were different there, but yeah, after that was like, okay, now it's, we're going into like 
you know, full on raise mode. And it's like trying to get like as many clients as possible. Going through YC also helped us get some of the placement because it was like, hey, there's this tech company in San Francisco that's going through YC. And YC is well known now throughout the United States that wants to like help build housing in like Raleigh. And then obviously are the channels, like distribution channels of like where people are coming from has always been important because that's always what VCs want to know. It's like, how are you acquiring customers? So it's like having those conversations of, okay, what do we want to focus? on where are we getting like the most leads from and the website is one thing the press was the other and then we started realizing that realtors could be a good sector for us essentially with that with realtors if you already know that people are looking for homes the question now is could you convince a realtor to bring them to us if they're like particularly like picky or they're just not finding something in the market which ended up being like a lot of folks because not enough new housing is being built um so there's, they're going after like existing homes, which also don't have a lot of the features that, you know, millennials um, want in them. That includes like laundry rooms, like butler's pantries. There's a lot of like storage stuff that people are starting to find that they want. And then because of COVID, wanting to have the home office space and like outdoor space for like them to hang out with since you couldn't go out and for their kids to have a place to hang out as well. Um, so all those things led to a lot of customers just not finding what they wanted in the existing market. Plus a lot of sellers didn't want to sell their homes. So now it's just what other option is there? That's where we came in. So we started approaching realtors and trying to come up with a program that would in incentivize them to like work with us. Their commission is obviously very important to them. That's how they make their money. So we came up with a very competitive rate at 3%. At the time, builders, there isn't a set rule of how much builders will pay out to realtors, depending on who has more power at the moment. And at the moment it was builders. So they weren't really paying out to too many realtors. So this became an attractive option for realtors that were looking for another option to provide for their customers. So we really started going after them um, and figuring out how we can make it work. Along the way, we're discovering just little things here and there. Cause now not only do we have to convince the home buyer, we have to convince the realtor that this is like a viable option and that we are a legitimate company that can actually do this and provide a home for like their clients. And so we moved up when they get paid. Usually uh, when they work with builders, Realtors don't get paid until the end. Once the house is done, that means they have to wait that entire time <laughs> to get paid out. So we moved it up to like when they um, finally signed with us and are actually moving forward with the process of getting land. And we know it's about to start building. So that's like at least nine months to like a year that they get paid beforehand. Um, so that, that became a competitive advantage because it's like, we're able to think about that, see what the problem is at the moment, and then come up with a solution to it to help people. And once we started showing those numbers to like, um, VCs, it was like, oh, okay. So now you guys are thinking about how you're going to continue to acquire like more customers. And that has been like the strategy going forward where now we're trying to create more realtor partnerships with the brokerages and not just like individual realtors, but yeah, that's exploring every angle. Was the communication strategy towards realtors different to the one that you were using to reach customers like and end users for want of a better term? Um, not really. It's still the idea that like you, your customer will get to customize, personalize their home in a way that like is impossible with existing homes. They get like a newer home. So that also became a thing we started thinking about is like, are we competing with existing homes or is it new construction homes 
which are the ones being built like in huge developments Hmm. um, that are more of what you think about the cookie cutter style, where it's like a lot of the homes look the same. Um, But those homes obviously started selling like a lot, like they have huge waiting lists Hmm. um, of people that are like wanting to live in those homes because it's like, it's a newer house. You're going to get like newer appliances and, and everything. So we also had a lot of realtors mentioning, oh yeah, we're going with a new construction because we know when it's going to be finished. A lot of those homes are like being sold as they're being built because obviously mm. there's no customization happening. So yeah, the biggest thing we found as the like reasons why people don't want to work with us are budget, obviously, and then timeline. Some people just need <laughs> to like live in a home like immediately and don't want to like wait for the their whole home to get built so those are the things that we actively like have to try to find messaging for but no for the most part it's the same thing because the what we're communicating what we're trying to market is the same thing that the realtor should then be taking on to their home buyer to sell them on um, the product the only difference would be it's like how much of commission the realtors are making why they should work with us instead of other builders or like new construction um, or like existing homes but we're finding that they're seeing the same thing which is that there aren't enough homes in the market and that of the existing um, homes that are, people are just being a lot pickier about what they want to live in. You've been so generous with your your kind of time and the wisdom you've shared on what it takes to build a marketing strategy from day one all the way through seed. And if I was in the US, I would definitely be hitting your company <laughs> up to buy to buy a property because it just sounds absolutely fantastic as a proposition. Final question before I let you go. What do you think is going to be the biggest change in how B2B companies market themselves over the next five years? I think the level of like customization and personalization is going to continue to become more of a thing. I think a lot of us on, on the receiving end, and are getting annoyed at how many blanket statements we're getting from sales companies. And it's just, we're now expecting a certain level of like personalization to us that comes from like doing a bit of research. And I think that's going to continue to intensify across the board, email programs, cold calling, everything from top to bottom. And that suits us. The more that people want to customize and personalize, the more that's going to be true of like their homes. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Fantastic. Sonia, where can people learn more about you? I'm at, at Sonia Bachez on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, all that. Um, and yeah, if you want to find out more about Atmos, just we're at buildatmos.com. And then all those same social handles at buildatmos. Awesome. Well, I'll drop all those links in the description of this episode. But otherwise, Sonia, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast, leave a rating, a comment, a review, or just share it on social media. It'll really make my day. Every Monday morning, I send out a newsletter to B2B marketers all around the world on how to do better B2B marketing. You can sign up to that via the link that I'm going to leave in the description of this episode. Or if you need a fix of B2B marketing content goodness right now, you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com. See you next week.